Welcome to Lipedema Link. I'm your host, Don Ellen Ray, and today we're going to be talking about stage one lipedema with my special guest, Sara. But first, let's say hello to my co-host, Phil. Hi, Don Ellen. You know, this is very important because we've talked to an advanced stage patient before, but we probably don't know much about the people who have just been uh, diagnosed with lipedema. So this is a very, very interesting show that I can't wait to, to, to dive into. Yes, yes. And I'm so glad that Sara Hamadi has agreed to join us and talk about what her story has been with this. She is a stage one. And yes, we talked to uh, someone before that was stage four, and I'm kind of in the middle of the road, stage two and three. And I think at whatever stage you're in, maybe your symptoms are a little di- are different, your treatment's a little different, your diagnosis a little tre- are a little different. So I'm very interested in hearing Zara's story. So welcome, Zara. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, ma'am. So, we, okay, so let's just start from the beginning. Um, how, when did you notice something was wrong? Like most women going through this, I felt something was wrong right when puberty hit. Uh, I knew something was off with my body. I was trying all the diets and exercises. I knew that my calves were huge. I was having a lot of pain, and I just didn't know what was going on. And, you know, it wasn't until the pain got really bad that I decided to go to my primary care and say, listen, I think something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, I also started to do my own research online and I came across lipedema and there were some symptoms on there that I didn't completely agree with that I thought I had, but I was like, I think I resonate with most of this. So I'm going to ask my PCP about this, see what they think. And they had no idea what I was talking about. They acknowledged, yeah, they acknowledged that like they didn't have the background or the training in it. But what was great is that they said, even though I don't know about this, I know someone who does. And so they referred me. Yeah, awesome. And they referred me and, you know, I got my very first diagnosis. But it wasn't until that moment that I felt the validation of what I had been going through up until that point, because, you know, growing up, you know, from puberty to now, I was like, I always feel that I'm overweight. The diets and the exercise isn't working. Uh, Something's off with my body. I didn't have the best relationship with food. Mm. So Mm. yeah, because, you know, when you struggle with weight, there's a part where like you, you just feel like you're not fueling your body to fuel it. You know, thankfully after surgery and, you know, figuring out what I have, that's been completely handled. It's been transformed, but there's an aspect of it before. It's not just a physical manifestation, this disease. I, I believe it starts on more emotional and, and mental. Mm-hmm. It takes a toll. It sure does. So, yeah. And, Especially and being so, that young. I mean, like, were you comparing yourselves to, say, your friends to see what size of their calves? And were you asking them if theirs hurt? I mean, that's kind of a lot to kind of try to figure out at a younger age, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, I have two sisters, and they didn't understand what I was going through. Oh. And I would look at their calves all the time. You know, we, we'd compare, I'd compare and be like, how come I don't look like you, right? Why is... Mm-hmm. Why am I different? Why am I built different? And I would always chalk it up to maybe bigger bones, being slightly overweight, you know, until I got that diagnosis and I had it in my hand and I was like, okay, there is a reason behind this. You know, this is validation in which I thought was validation. But, you know, even after that, I faced 
some difficult conversations with surgeons who didn't necessarily agree with my diagnosis. I had one, for example, I visited um, out in Massachusetts and I was like, can you treat me? He claimed to treat lipedema, you know, had been doing it for quite some time. And, you know, he took one look at me in person and was like, you don't have lipedema, you have cellulite. And, you know, what? yeah, so to hear that, I, I was like, I just burst out in tears after he had left the exam room. I was, I was like, I, at this point in my, in my research, I had, you know, consulted with about four plastic surgeons. I was diagnosed by two additional non-surgeons who were experts. Oh, good. In the okay, good. And so I, I knew what I had and, you know, other doctors knew what I had, but it didn't erase the fact that there were some medical providers in the field who still didn't know what it was and how it presents itself in an earlier stage patient. So this doctor, for example, said he treated lipedema, but he said, most of the patients I treat are very different than you. And I asked for an explanation on what that meant. And he said, I treat morbidly obese patients. And so I was like, okay, I am happy that you're telling me you don't think you'd be a good fit for me as a surgeon. Um, as my surgeon, what I'm not happy about is that I got gaslighted out of the fact that, you know, you think I have this disease. So I feel like, especially in this day and age with, with lipedema patients who are around my age or stage one, stage two, they're not just going to face the gaslighting that they give themselves. Um, Cause I know I did that too. I would say, you know, maybe I'm not working out hard enough or I'm not eating the right mm-hmm. foods. Mm-hmm. But we're also going to face that gaslighting from society saying, why don't you just eat better? Why don't you just try this exercise or try to go keto Mm -hmm. or, you know, cut out the carbs or Mm -hmm. something like that? Um, It's not validated. And a lot of people just like to chalk it up to obesity because that ends up what's happening, you know, with lipedema sometimes when it's not caught early on or you know there's all these other symptoms that manifest it, it can show as obesity it can present itself that way mm-hmm. as being another symptom of what lipedema causes and it seems like and that's so, an easier label or category to put us in you know when it, if that's what you come in and you're asking questions about and and the lack of understanding and what what i find interesting is that the surgeon you just referenced obviously doesn't treat it very well. And I wonder how much they really know about it if they really believe that you didn't have it, you know? So yeah, I just, it just finds it's sometimes I think it's a a label or category to put us in, which I find very disheartening. And I think it's also an easier way out to, you know, not take responsibility in the medical Mm -hmm. field in advance, you know, the research and, and the development in this field. I feel like there's a lot of uh, reservation to widely acknowledge lipedema as a disease and the surgical treatment it needs. And, you know, that's a whole different, uh, different topic, but especially like finding the right surgeon for me. And then also, you know, advocating for myself um, via cover, cover lipedema for insurance coverage of my treatment. Mm-hmm. It was a really hard battle. And I say this because most people who are asking for their surgeries to be covered, they present in a different way than I do. Mm -hmm. And so when I did, I felt that most of the, uh, when the insurance was looking over my application or my pre-authorization requests, 
they weren't seeing what I saw or what doctors saw. They were easy to chalk it up to maybe cosmetics or to, you know, just something that's elective, not medical Mm. treatment. Mm. And that's another side of things. You know, most people don't, most insurance companies or, or doctors aren't really willing to treat until, until it, it, it gets worse. And, you know, as we know, lipedema is a chronic disease. Yeah. It starts off, you know, very, um, it not, it doesn't present itself so badly and then it gets first. Right. It's so that they look at you and say, are you really kind of sick sort of thing, which is kind of what sounds really? like what you faced. Yeah. <laughs> they look at you and say, mm, nah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But we're here now. I'm four months post-op. Oh, it was great. the best decision I ever made. It changed my life completely. And, you know, I just want to be a resource to other individuals who are in the same boat who feel like, you know, they don't know if they present themselves the same way that most lipedema patients who are, are talking about it do. Because that was one thing I couldn't find. Someone in my age, my stage, talking about what was going on and, and their process and what it was like, their photos, their outcomes. That's something I wanted to see. So I'm hoping that this can be something that other people can look at. Yeah, that's that's true. Because and. and especially when you were young, I, I can't imagine, I don't even know that I'd have the wherewithal to go. And if I did the research, go and say, oh, it's lipedema at that age. I would have thought it was anything else. Did I, I don't know, did I pull a calf muscle? Did I do, you know, I would probably think it was anything else other than lipedema. So the fact that you actually narrowed in on that, and then you had a doctor that, you know, a non-surgeon who was aware and was able to refer you, um, to get the help you needed. And then you went through, you said four surgeons, did, did they all, did they all not believe that, that you had this, um, you were stage one lipedema? All of them did believe I was stage one lipedema. One diagnosed me with stage two. So they were all on, they all believed this was a disease I had. It was only one surgeon I spoke to who, I guess, didn't feel comfortable treating me as their patient as they didn't have experience with an earlier stage patient. They were treating people who were stage four and I just wasn't that for him. So. But what if he um, would have been your first surgeon and you just gave up there or you just believed it and said, oh, well, I must be something else. Or I, you know, I mean, what if you just would have given up there because it was just too much, too frustrating, too depressing, too you know, just too hard. I mean, that, that would have been the real shame of that. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, when I had that conversation, I thought back to myself, what if he's right? What if he is right? This is just cellulite. You know, maybe I can just exercise it away. But then I remembered I had all these other like documentations. I had all these other, um, consults and and diagnoses and treatment plans and you know if it wasn't for that i probably would have stopped my search and walked away and that that's the sad reality is that mm-hmm. you know women who or individuals who have this stage one or stage two are going to be gaslit out of it and it's because lipedema isn't widely known or accepted in the states in terms of you know, just socially speaking, you know, doctors might not more, might now know more about it, especially now that we're doing so much advocacy work. But 
before that, you know, even if you find someone on the street or ask someone on the subway, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. We're not there yet. And until we do, we do get there. There's going to be a lot of individuals who walk into the doctor's office not knowing what they have. And it's up for the it's up to the doctors to be trained to know this is a, a disease that accept, that affects 10 percent of women. And until then, we're not we're not going to be able to treat the population that have it before it progresses. And we're going to end up in situations where patients are advocating for themselves, diagnosing themselves in their bedrooms late at night, saying, I think I have this and, and trying to tell the doctor, please, like, can you look into this for me rather than the other way around? Yeah, and that is that is a total shame. And yeah, you're yeah yeah. Doctor WebMD is you know telling you that you have it, and then then what do you do to go and find someone who can go and agree and put in your medical record so that you can go and seek the treatments? I mean, so as you mentioned that you had the surgery, so I know part of the insurance process is about conservative measures. So were there certain conservative measures that that helped you more or worked for you? I mean, we know that you can't get rid of the tissue itself until without removing it surgically. But I know that they require us to, um, you know, have so many months of conservative measures. So I just was curious on stage one, are there some conservative measures that work better than others? Absolutely. And Go ahead. No, I was just saying, and, and understanding that it might be uh, in an individual, on an individual basis or or a personal basis that it may vary slightly, but I was just curious if at that stage, if there was, there was something that worked better. Absolutely. For, for the leg pain, especially, cause that was a huge problem for me, which got me to go to see my PCP was medical grade compression that changed the ball game for me. And I still use it post-surgery, you know, every day when I can. And w- that just relieved the pain for me entirely. But the problem is, is, You know, once you take the compression off, the pain comes back because the fat's Mm -hmm. still there, the diseased fat. Mm -hmm. It doesn't solve the 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 root of the problem. It it helps the symptoms, but that I'll continue to use, and I found super helpful. Um, I got fitted for compression garments during conservative therapy. Um, I saw an occupational therapist who I think I'm so thankful that I had met her because she knows so much about lipedema, despite the fact that I was in a lymphedema clinic. Mm. And, and, and that's, you know, that's how they're grouping lipedema right now. When you, there's some lipedema patients, they're having them be seen at um, lymphatic centers, which I understand they're in the same, you know, family, but you know, they're very different diseases. Mm-hmm. And so she was very well versed in lipedema. She had read all about Karen Herbst and all the, you know, clinical studies and research that she does and the effective supplements that help manage conservatively and then also conser- conservative measures such as bandage- bandagings, compression pumps and compression garments. Um, we had tried bandaging on me and it wasn't helpful. I, I didn't, I, it would, there was a lot of like moving parts in it. The way that you have to put the bandaging on mm-hmm. was not helpful. Um, the pump was nice while it was being used, but I didn't really see helpful like pain reduction afterwards. Um, it was the compression garments that did the most. And I was fitted for compression garments that were between 30 to 40, um, I think it's okay. MMHC, I could be wrong on that, the 
actual units. But um, those helped tremendously. And then also with manual lymphatic drainage. Those were two really helpful conservative measures that I did pre-op for about three months and that I continue afterwards as well. Oh, that's good. That's good. Did you do any, have you found like um, any sort of like exercising, meaning like swimming or anything like that, that was helpful for you? I'm just kind of curious from a whole, um, like a holistic perspective here, what was for a stage one, um, you know, what, what was helpful and what wasn't compared to like, say a me or a, an advanced stage person? Yeah. Um, on top of that, before I even found out I had lipedema, I loved weight training and, you know, okay. I didn't realize how helpful it was towards the halting or slowing the, the progression of the disease until afterwards. Cause I continued to weight train after my surgery, once I got cleared and I am now, but that is something that I think really helps earlier stage patients because we have that mobility still, you know, and um, there's also just the the idea that we can move those muscles. And I think building muscle helps the progression of the disease or helps halt it a bit. I don't know if that's medically or scientific, scientifically proven, but I can't imagine, you know, what things would be like for me if I didn't take that up as a hobby. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's food for thought. I know everyone's different. Not everybody likes to weight train. It's not the most mm -hmm. glamorous thing out there. What I didn't find helpful was running. Running was really painful. And yes. it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure I is. wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. Me neither. Um, I had the same thing. It's like, you know, or even just something like I was taking up trying to play some pickleball or whatever, which is supposed to be easier on you. But, you know, when you think about slamming your foot and jarring this painful tissue you know wow how great is that you know when when you think about so so imagine running or jogging and the force that's on there even higher than what I was doing and I just found it very uncomfortable you know um I, and for me and I don't know if, if you noticed for your um like the um the wrappings and stuff also, and even the pumps, when you're, when I was, because my, I, I had a lot of pain too. So when I go and I use them, it's the idea of that kind of pressure on this painful tissue that just really doesn't feel good. Right. You know? And that's kind of when you know, you know, and it's not helpful. And then you're kind of like, okay, so this isn't just like say lymphedema or something where the fluid is supposed to be pumped out, you know, so uh, I, I know that as the stage I am, it was, it was painful. So for stage one, it sounds like it was that that's kind of a similar symptom. Yes. And then I'd also like to add that, um, one of my diagnosing surgeons, uh, diagnosing providers suggested or prescribed to me vascularia, which mm -hmm. I believe is known as diosmin, mm -hmm. um, that complex, it's a food drug. You know, it's still being clinically tested in terms of how effective it is on helping lipedema. But I would, I have been taking that for like the last, ever since I got diagnosed um, to present, which has been about, I'd say a year, maybe nine months or so, which I have found helpful. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've taken that too. And it's, I think it was, um, my understanding is originally 
use for vascular symptoms, but then yeah. it seemed to actually help with um, some lipedema. So maybe not for everybody, but and I do know, like you mentioned, uh, Dr. Herbs prescribed some other sort of um, supplements that it seems to be helpful. But um, if and and does and I don't know if you tried any of those, but does that any other supplements that seem to help on a stage one level? Yeah, I also take vitamin D3 and B12, Okay, which have been, I believe, listed by Dr. Karen Herbs as some of the conservative measures that patients with lipidema can have to, to manage the symptoms. And in some cases, I've proved to like shrink the lipidema cells. You know, they can't remove them entirely unless it's mm-hmm. via liposuction, but can help shrink or at least, you know, slow its progression to expanding, which, you know, I've been taking them prior to surgery, which didn't help much, but, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm willing to try um, anything in those research uh, books to see if I can help manage the disease long-term because yeah. it is chronic. Yes, that, that is the unfortunate thing. So you can have it surgically removed. That doesn't mean it's going to stay away. Um, and it can come back. So that's, that's the downside of that, you know, cause we're, we get so excited when, you know, we can, if, and for those that choose surgery, I know that everyone doesn't, and that's, you know, perfectly fine. I, I'm just saying for those that choose surgery, you're so excited because, you know, for me, I, it was the idea of making the pain go away. And it sounds like that was a big thing for you too. Yeah. You're just so excited about having the pain go away. And then the idea that you may get it again, just really is a downer. <laughs> You know, when you've gotten that far and you're so excited, you know, so. Um, it's really funny you, you bring that up. I don't want to say funny, kind of sad, yeah. but I, I was speaking to my plastic surgeon about this and, you know, even he had mentioned that, you know, I might have to consider doing this again at some point, the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, right now I've been healed for now, you know, I've halted the progression somewhat, but it just goes to show that we don't have enough scientific information on what really is the root cause to stop it um, or to get rid of it entirely. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking down on the long road ahead, just in the back of my mind, knowing I will be going through this process again, I sincerely hope that we make some major strides in lipedema, you know, to, to better the care for it. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, and if, if you don't mind asking, so you've had one surgery, right? Is that all you need to do or, or are you scheduled for more? That's all I need to do for now. Oh, great. As, as, yeah, I was really happy. I uh, had a fantastic surgeon who managed to do it all in one surgery. I'm a full-time student, so the timing of things, I really needed it to be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. that, um, so I could deal with recovery time. But for now, that's about it. I don't know if or when I'll need to do it again, but it is um, definitely a discussion for, for down the line. Yeah, and I think, the, and I don't know if, I assume that this is with a stage one, then you're looking at a lower volume, so then you maybe wouldn't have had to have, stay in a hospital overnight or anything. I don't know if that was your experience or not. I just didn't know if you were lower volume, which it, I would, sounds like if they could do it all in one surgery, yes. maybe you were, and that that way you didn't have to to have like an overnight stay in a hospital or anything? Yes. I elected to do my surgery um, in my surgeon's accredited surgical facility um, per state of New York uh, law. You're allowed, the doctor's allowed to remove up up to five liters of 
um, lipedema fat or fat in one surgery, in one surgery, which is what we did. And it was beneficial to me. Um, I know that that's not the reality for every lipedema patient. So therefore, if more is needed to be taken out in one surgery, they would have to go through a hospital or do more surgeries. It really depends on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you, and if you don't mind, I ask as well. So did you have to travel for yours or was it able to be done locally? Because I think traveling puts a, diff- puts a whole other aspect onto having surgery. Yeah, and that's another another sad part about this is I tried to get treatment in Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. And unfortunately, the one surgeon that I could find, you know, decided they didn't want to be my doctor, didn't want to treat me. Mm. And so I had to travel out to the state of New York to get treatment. And so as you can imagine, like planning for a surgery like this, factoring like travel, maybe like accommodations, stay accommodations is not the best. Um, you know, a plane isn't really the option when you're dealing with post-surgery. So how do you, you know, travel from New York back to your home state? And so, you know, I had to deal with um, car, travel, finding who would be taking me, taking care of me, bringing mm-hmm. me back. And it was a pain. Um, so I sincerely hope that, you know, states have good qualified surgeons who are able to treat in the patient's home state so they don't have to go out and and seek treatment the way I did. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, gosh, I, I know some women talk about going um, internationally to get it done, yep. so I can't imagine, like, a long flight or anything like that, because, I mean, I'm sure by car, you're still dealing with swelling, and you still have the pain post-surgical, and, you yep. know, and then, yeah, and and how long a trip is it, and do you have to go and try to, you know, stay somewhere and try to, plan it all out and then it does extend the whole process you know by days and you know a lot of times you just want to get home to your own bed to start healing and feel better so um so post-surgical though how was it for you was it could you tell a difference pretty soon after in the pain level I mean I know that right after surgery of course it's painful but could you tell from where they had removed the tissue that some of the pain or that sort of pain had had subsided? You know, it's it's so funny you ask that because all of the before and afters that I saw, there was an immediate reduction in the size. Mm. And I was waiting to have that like woohoo moment of looking at my legs right after surgery, waking up and saying, wow, these are so totally different. These are my new legs now. Mm-hmm. And they were actually larger than they were pre-surgery. And I was devastated. Oh, and I think, I yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that earlier stage patients should be prepared for. I think, especially if you're removing, you know, not so much volume of lipedema fat to know that there's going to be a lot of swelling and that might mask, or in my case, it did mask, you know, the removal of the lipedema fat and what the results results will look like. I remember like looking at my legs one month post-op and saying, you look the same to me. Like, what is going on? Like, did I actually go through the surgery? Did, did it do anything for me? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is about um, the legs, specifically like the calf area and the ankle area, which is, a, which is where, you know, majority of people want to see the biggest difference, you know, the ankle and, and the calf, is that it swells the most and it takes yeah. the longest to heal. 
And so, cause think about it, you're on your feet all day. Most of the fluid is further away from the heart. It's going to stay down there. It's going to linger. So, mm-hmm. um, surgical swelling post-operation lasted for me and I still have a little bit and I'm four months post-op, um, lasted for a solid two and a half months before I could see what my legs were actually supposed to look like. And that was the most, you know, difficult part of the healing process because we want to see the legs look really different right away. Oh yeah. And I, I think, think for earlier stage patients. I think that's good advice yeah. to set your expectations and that it's not going to just automatically look different because you are going to have that swelling and it does have to go down and it does take some time months even to go down and but yeah I, I know when you're anxious to get it done because you know if you've hurt for so long or you've had other symptoms for so long or if you're if you're advanced and your mobility is affected for so long you just want to get it done and you want it to be better now you know so exactly. I, I exactly. think you're right that no matter what stage you are just set your expectations and that Yes, you're still even stage one. You may have the swelling. It may not be the ta-da moment right then that it, look, it, we're snap my fingers and it's fixed, you know. So I think that's good advice. Thank you. And, you know, also they tell you to prepare yourself. You know, you, you think you're going to get like 10 pounds off the scale right when you go through surgery and come back out. It's not going to happen. You're going to hop on that scale and you might be a little bit more than you were before. And that's totally okay. That's part of the healing process. You know, there's a lot of swelling involved. Just be patient and be kind to yourself during that time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing we we kind of kind of just glossed over a minute ago was when we were talking about when they were saying about you know cellulite and lose weight and exercise so did you actually try some diets that worked better for you as a stage one so before i knew i had lipedema i noticed that my body responded better when i cut out carbs okay and i'm not telling people go cut out carbs because i had no idea what i was doing and i say that because i just there are better carbs for people with lipedema to, to consume rather than not. So, you know, white carbs mm-hmm. are something that we should limit versus whole grains, quinoas, um, those kind of grains, like those whole grains are the good stuff. And so I would just cut everything out and I felt like my body was responding to my diet and exercise. Who knows really what was the, the reason that I would see some improvement. But, you know, once I reintroduced those food groups, the weight was coming back. So mm-hmm. in hindsight, you know, if I could learn something from that and say that to, to people now is focus on eating like a, a well-balanced diet full of whole grains and vegetables and focus on whole foods. I know they say it like that and it's something that's thrown out there a lot and you say, yeah, I'm doing it, but really focus on it because I notice every single time I focused on eating that balanced diets of the whole grains and in fats and, and vegetables and those whole foods that my symptoms or my swelling that eventually happens with lipedema too. Um, it was reduced. Pain was reduced, but you know, that's a management tool. It obviously doesn't fix the root cause. It's not going to get rid of your lipedema, but it will help manage long-term. So it's a big factor. Well, that, that makes sense too. And I realized that, I mean, you know, you probably didn't have really any weight to lose per se. And it was probably maybe more spot. 
you know, like I think you said yours was mainly you noticed in your calves. Is that true? Did you notice anywhere else? It's actually yes. It was a lot in my in my thighs as well, but I didn't okay. understand or how or understand how lipedema presented in the thighs and of a of a first stage patient, right? Of mm -hmm. of a first stage lipedema patient. I always assumed it was limited to my calves, and it wasn't until I spoke with my with my doctors that they actually pointed out you have a specific type of lipedema that affects all the way from the lower abdomen to the ankles in addition to your arms. Okay. And I so said you had oh. arms too. Okay. Yes, and I was like I had no idea. I was so focused on the pain in my calves and you know how much larger they were in comparison to everything in my body. You know, I just assumed I had um, like a pear-shaped body type you know, it's been glamorized or whatever it might be. And, you know, this is normal. It's just my calves that need, that need you know, the lipedema fat removal. But, you know, it wasn't until, you know, my visit with my doctors that they said, no, like it presents itself in your thighs and your lower abdomen and in your arms. Like it's clear. And I said, okay, well, this makes sense. And they pointed to a chart. You know, there's different types of lipedema presentations. Some people have them maybe just in their thighs. Some people have it from the waist down, like mm -hmm. I did, mm -hmm. or like the lower abdomen down. Some people have it just from the knees down. Some just in the arms or a mix, a mix of all three or four. So it definitely did affect different parts of my body. I just, I wasn't aware of it because I was so hyper fixated on that, on that one area that was bothering me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, um, really thankful to have met, you know, qualified providers who knew what they were talking about. Oh, yeah. So, and so at a stage one, did they present, um, so you had surgery, but did they present any other treatment options besides that? I mean, I'm not sure. So when I had first, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go. So when I was, you know, going through my conservative therapy um, treatment, they suggested as many conservative measures as they could um, in terms of compression, bandaging, the, the pump, um, everything under the book, you know, massaging, eating the good diet, doing the swimming that they tell you to do the aerobic exercise. But I was headstrong on surgical, on a surgical option. Okay. You know, I wanted a permanent fix. A, um, what's not in hindsight, it's not really permanent, but you know, I wanted something that was, definitely going to give me the results I needed to halt the progression of this disease for now. Okay. And so when I was talking with surgeons, I was headstrong about, I'm going to get this surgery. It's a matter of, you know, are you a good surgeon to go to? Are you someone who knows about lipedema? And, and that's another thing, like picking a surgeon is, is so important. You need to pick someone that you are really comfortable with, but most important is ethical and willing to take insurances and, and not treat lipedema as some like marketing gimmick too for just to get patients you want somebody who is really listening to you and you know has treated people like you before you yeah absolutely that's what i that that's a biggie is you know experience have they treated this before that they know what it is you know um like like i'm still curious about that one surgeon you saw it's like if he doesn't think that a stage one you know, has it, it's not just cellulite, then, you know, what has your experience been? I realized that they said morbidly obese, but that, that cuts out a large percentage of these women who 
may not go yes. and seek treatment because somebody told them, yeah, that's not you. So I think that that's critical is someone who has the experience and has treated people who are like you. Can I ask a question here? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Zara, one thing that I've noticed, you know, with doing this podcast with Don Ellen is that uh, there is a lot of medical gaslighting. I know you mentioned it earlier, but why do you think why do you think that is in the medical industry? I think it's a mix between providers not wanting to be wrong and then also just where insurance companies and hospitals are in treating lipedema. So I think my experience with my doctor was a mix of, you know, I don't want to take this patient on. I don't have the skill, not the skill, the expertise to treat her. You know, I don't want to, you know, give her a botched surgery because, you know, lipedema is, the treatment to lipedema is liposuction. And it is the easiest thing that plastic surgeons are trained to do, right? But, you know, once you throw in lipedema and in the fact that it's a medical disease, it needs a different approach to treatment that is different from traditional liposuction. And I think for a doctor who is treating morbidly, morbidly obese patients, there's less of an emphasis on one, um, aesthetic outcome, and then also, two, um, getting out the lipedema diseased fat versus just getting fat out. So, mm -hmm. you know, in my situation there obviously is going to be a difference for me, a lower stage patient, stage one of which disease is, is fat, diseased fat, and which is, you know, healthy fat that can stay or just normal fat. And so there's also the aesthetic outcome. As a young patient myself, like one thing I was afraid of, it was going to a surgeon who was only going to look at the medical outcome. Yes, this is a medical treatment. You know, it's a disease that requires medical treatment, but at the same time, I also want, there's an emotional and, and mental aspect to this where I wanted some um, autonomy back onto like the outcome of what I looked like. I, I didn't want a bad outcome and I was afraid of that. So, you know, I thank God every day that this doctor turned me away. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy he told me, listen, I don't have the expertise to treat you. I treat people that are very different from you. Mm -hmm. um, but I wish that you know, none of the gaslighting was involved. And then for insurance companies, I, I think it's clear um, for a patient like myself, if they start treating it for higher stage patients e easily, like covering it, you know, it's going to be hard to manage who actually needs it and who is using it for cosmetic treatment, which is a valid, valid concern, right? The abuse of, of insurance coverage. But you know, their women shouldn't have to advocate for themselves the way I did and the way, you know, you yourself are and other women are, are doing right now. It should be standard care. And they need to figure out a way to regulate that uh, those potential issues, but not put that burden on us. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And, um, and you kind of briefly touched on this earlier, but let's talk about the mental aspect of this. Because, <clears throat> you know, if you're starting from a stage one and then you go, you get treated and then, um, you know, you have the potential looking this, staring this in the face again later. It's kind of like this whole mental piece of it because you have it for this longer period of time. And then the what ifs if it comes back. But, but let's talk about at your age being very young when you first got it, <clears throat> what... What 
kind of mental aspect did it take on you then up till now and then from now going forward? My initial reaction when I finally got diagnosed was relief. That was my first um, emotion. I was very happy that I had validation for something that I was so confused about for the last 10 years of my life. That was chipping away at me, you know, countless hours in the gym, um, countless hours thinking about like how I'm going to eat properly or so many times looking at myself and saying, why am I so different? So it was so nice for a second to have that validation, that diagnosis. But then after that second passed, it was a bunch of dread. And it was a feeling of anger too, because I had realized in that moment that this is something I will be dealing with for the rest of my life, whether I like it or not. It was nice to have the validation, but then I had this overwhelming sense of like, something I'm going to have to manage. Um, It's going to be something looking over my shoulder my entire life. I'm going to have to make changes to my lifestyle today to, you know, halt that progression. And it felt like an overbearing sense of responsibility at the same time. And there's nothing that really makes that go away, except Mm -hmm. holding it and saying, okay, this is what I have. And I'm going to be proactive about this. Um, But there are definitely still times, even after I've gotten surgery, where, you know, I don't want to stick to my healthy eating plan and I don't want to do the things that I that I'm supposed to do, like put on my compression garments. And I say, why do I have to do this? Um, Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think of the grand scheme of things like this is to benefit myself to, you know, slow progression in the long run. And then, you know, it, it's always in the back of my mind, the thought of when am I going to have to do this surgery again? Am That's I ever funny. going to have to? I, I yeah, wonder that there. if it was always going to be in the back of your mind. And, and I hope that if it's 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whatever it is for you, that it this disease has progressed to the point that it's it, maybe it's not as traumatizing. And it's and the treatments there, they're, uh, the education of, uh, patients and the medical community community and, the, and just the awareness in general is there and it won't be quite the same you know um, it's still stressful to go through a surgery but if you can at least go to a surgeon who is familiar with it who treats it who you trust and you can get through this process then you know and doesn't go and tell you it's cellulite then you know that's I would hope at least make you feel better mentally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, is there anything that you want to share that we haven't already with any other stage one um, patients that you feel would just be beneficial or just something you want them to know? I would say it's, you know, you're going to look around a lot of the time at, other women or other individuals that, you know, have normal looking legs and you're going to be really mad at some point and you're going to be like, you know, what is going on with me? Why am I the way that I am? And, you know, it is frustrating, but at the same time, these were the cards that we were dealt and it's a matter of putting ourselves first and getting the treatment that we need so that we can halt the progression, slow the progression, and, you know, just 
make the best of, of the situation. It's, it's not the clearest path, you know, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It will get better. And I think acknowledgement um, and action are, are the two most important steps to a healthier you. Well, thank you so much. Your uh, in- information has been very enlightening. I really have enjoyed talking to a stage one patient. It's just, you know, there's intricacies that are very different from whatever stage you're in. It's very, very enlightening to know that and to understand. Um, We appreciate your time today, and I'm so glad you decided to join us. Thank you so much, John Allen. It was a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. Phil, do you have anything you want to? Well, I just want to add that if you guys visit our website, at lipedemalink.com. Uh, everything is there from uh, blogs to all the podcast episodes. Uh, Zara, it's been a huge pleasure to have you on, and thank you so much. And we will catch you guys later. See ya. Bye bye. Bye.